Taylorsville Baptist Church. It's my honor to welcome you here today. Uh, if you are visiting with us today, it is an honor to have you with us, and we would encourage you before you leave just to take just a minute. You can fill out the uh, guest card in your bulletin and tear that out. It's in the bottom right corner, uh, or also you can stop by our guest table. And just so you know today, one of the things we're going to try to do is just as staff be available after the service. So many times after the service, there's a mad rush out that door, and we just don't see who's here. So today, we want to encourage you to stop by our guest table. If you're visiting, Pastor Mark will be out there. If you have any questions about our ministries, we would love to uh, uh, meet you and find out how we can serve you better. But it is an honor to welcome you here to East Hillsville Baptist Church. Just a couple of quick announcements. Um, as we've been announcing, we will uh, be having a WANA tonight. We are back after we kicked that off last week and had a great turnout. And tonight at 4.30, for those of you that are serving, especially if you're in the... Uh, handbook time maybe you weren't here last week but you said this week or felt compelled I need to serve in this area be here at 4:30 in the fellowship hall for a brief meeting before we get ready for the kids to be here and then also just a reminder that on February 27th the last Sunday of this month we'll be having the Baptist men benefit barbecue for Frankie Tedder and uh, that will be all to go after the service and you'll go to the takeout area and uh, all that will be available and all your donations will go to assist Frankie and be a blessing to them as they have great need through those sicknesses and illnesses, and um, we just want to be a blessing to their family. But right now, we're going to ask you to stand, and as you stand, I want you to read a passage of Psalm 66, and it says this in verse 1 and 2. It says, Make a joyful shout to God, all the earth. Sing out the honor of his name, and make his praise glorious. Today, we want to welcome you here. Take a minute, just say hello to your neighbor, and then we want to do just that. Give honor and glory to our Lord and Savior.
worthy, isn't he? This morning, we want to invite you to come and have a time of prayer with us this morning as they lead us in song. I want you to look at your bulletins and pick out a few names and come and pray for those people. I want you to remember uh, Sandra Presley. She's going through tests tomorrow. Lift her up and her family in prayer. And also remember Dinah Purser. And I want you to remember our, our military families of what we're facing as a nation. But I want to invite you this morning to come in, 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 at this time of prayer and let's pray together. You come. morning father we need you every hour we need you and father without you we can do nothing and father we pray that you would pour out your spirit here in the lives of those who are calling on your name pray you'd answer prayer according to your will and your purpose and lord as we pray one for another i pray you'd be the intercessor lord like you said you were in romans 8 that lord you're always interceding on our behalf and Father, we thank you, Lord, that when we can't even pray for our own self, when we're weak, you pray for us. And Father, we want to thank you that you're our Father this morning. And God, that you love us and you care for us and you walk with us and we're never alone. And Father, you walk within us. We thank you for that. Father, we pray for our nation this morning. Lord, as we could be facing a conflict, I pray, Father, for our military families and Lord, as they're preparing for this time. I pray for your divine protection, your grace and mercy. I pray, God, that you would be with them. And Father, not only that, but I pray, Father, for those in our church this morning. Lord, I pray for the Janice Hall family. Lord, as we celebrated her home going this past week, I pray you'd be with them and comfort them during this time. And Father, be with Sandra and Danny and the family. God bless them. Be with her as she's going through tests. And Father, we want to thank you that you hear us when we pray. Father, be with Dinah Purser. Father, be with her. And Father, this morning, I pray you'd bless this time of worship. Lord, may we honor you and give you glory. Lord, in the preaching and the singing of songs. And Father, may we just worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Thank you, choir. Let's give uh, the choir another hand clap. Well, that was wonderful, wasn't it, this morning? Thank you so much. As they're going down, I want to mention that next Sunday we will be privileged to have the Baptist Children Home uh, to be here to do a presentation. And uh, when you tithe uh, each week or whenever, however you tithe, a portion of your money goes to the North Carolina Baptist State Convention. In return, they have several ministries and mission organizations that they support. And one of those is the Baptist Children's Home. And they'll be here next Sunday morning to do a presentation. And I'll tell you this, it's excellent. So I'm going to encourage you to be here uh, uh, next Sunday. Uh, they'll, they'll be delivering that uh, presentation. We're so thankful. It's the first time that we've had them here since I've been pastor. And I've been pastor since 2005. I'm, I'm thinking that's correct. But we're glad that they can, they can come be with us. And also want to remind you of something Kevin mentioned. The barbecue on the 27th. Um, on the 27th, we'll have our quarterly business meeting, which should last about three minutes. And then we'll dismiss you to, uh, to uh, buy a barbecue. You can have people at your workplace, or not your workplace, but uh, family members if they want to buy a barbecue and different things like that. But it'll help uh, Frankie and Robin Tedder uh, based off their hospital stay. He was at Baptist for several days and had surgery there. And we're so thankful for how he's recovering and really appreciate Frankie and his family. So I'm going to encourage you on the 27th to support them. And if you have any family members that would like to come that morning and support them as well, we'd encourage you to come. This morning, I'll talk to you about this paradise. The last two weeks, we looked at Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5, or actually verses 1 through 8 the first week, the second week, verses uh, 9 through 21. And we talked about every person sitting in this room. Now think about this. Think about the enormity of this day, the importance of this day. You're either, when you die, going to heaven or you're going to hell. There's no other destination, friends. There's no purgatory. There's nowhere else to go. Today, that's how important this is today. And if you're watching online today, you're, as of today, if you die or Jesus comes back, and he can come back at any time, you're either going to spend eternity with Jesus in heaven or in hell. Jesus called hell outer darkness. He called it the place where the worm, in the King James Version, dieth not. Where the fire is never quenched. Or... You can be born again, place your faith in Jesus, and go to heaven. And he calls this the paradise. Isn't that amazing? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation 22 and stand. We're going to look at, we're going to, I'm going to preach on four verses, but we'll read the first five verses. There again, when you see the word and, it shows a uh, contrast between chapter 21. And here we have John, that same angel that helped with the seven bowls of God's wrath in the great tribulation, is showing John something else. He showed him a city coming down out of heaven, New Jerusalem. Okay, Coming down out of heaven, beautiful, as only God can make it. Enough room in that city for every person that's ever been born. Isn't that a blessing? There's enough room for everybody. Twelve gates on each side, which means you're welcome. Which means this, if you don't go to heaven, it's your fault. Nobody else's fault. We're giving invitation at the end of the service. You don't have to come forward. You can pray to receive Christ there, even during the message. I was not in church the day the Lord saved me. I was not in church. No choir was singing. No Bibles were open. A man led, uh, shared Jesus with me, and I repented of my sins and placed my faith and trust in him. But I want to tell you that the, the symbolism of 12 gates, north, south, east, and west, is that you're welcome. If you don't go into heaven, you have no one to blame but yourself. You'll make a choice today, a willful choice, most of you as an adult, to say no to Jesus. And think about the importance of that. That's why Paul often said, the greatest theologian to ever live said, today is the day of salvation. Today. Verse 1, And he showed me a pure river of water, of life, which is an actual river, but it also symbolizes something, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, and on either side of the river, was the tree of life. Think about that, tree of life on each side which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and its servants shall serve Him. Excuse me. They shall see His face. Think about that. They shall see His face. They shall see His face, and His name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there, and they need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and forever for all of God's children. What tremendous news you have. Look at this verse on the screen, and then we'll pray together. If you'll show this verse, thank you. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we want to thank you for your word. 
Father, we want to thank you for the hope that we have. Lord, your word says that the righteous, and we're made righteous because of you, not because of ourselves. the righteous has, has hope in his death, his or her death. And so, Father, we're so thankful for that, that we have hope. That means it's an absolute certainty. So what we're talking about today is an absolute certainty that's going to happen. Father, many of our relatives are in the intermediate state in heaven with you now. So we're so thankful for that. Lord, today as we look at the eternal state, the final climax of all of human history, Lord, what a great place to go to and what a great God we serve. Lord, everything there means blessing, joy, contentment, peace. So many of the things that elude us every day, Lord, we're going to live in it 24-7. And we'll see your face and be in your presence. No temple there because we're with you every moment of every day. No need for church services when we're having one every moment. So, Father, we thank you for that. We praise you for that. Lord, we have the best news to share with the lost and dying world. Father, my prayer is through the Holy Spirit and through your word that if there's anyone here today that's never placed their faith and trust in you, that today would be their day of salvation. Father, that's all that matters. Nothing else matters. And, Father, I pray that you would bless your word today. It will not return void, and we trust you in that. In Jesus' name I pray, and all of God's people said together, Amen. Thank you. May we see that. I share this verse at a lot of funerals where the thief on the cross, two thieves, they were both at first cursing Jesus, and then the one on Jesus' right hand said, I, basically what he said in the paraphrase is, I believe in you. You're the Messiah. And Jesus said, I assure you, now if Jesus assures you of something, you can take it to the bank. I assure you today, notice the word today. Now listen, today in the English means today. Today in the Hebrew means today. Today in the Greek means today. Today means today. So Jesus was telling this thief who, could, who, who had no works of righteousness on his own. He placed faith in Jesus. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. So I can say on the authority of God's word that your loved one is not in Revelation 22 yet, but your loved one is in paradise. Okay. Today, the Lord said, you shall be with me in paradise. So let's look at the final eternal state of paradise and let's notice some things there. The first thing I see here is the river of life. Water has always been essential to human life. Settlers in new areas always searched out water before beginning any type of building and putting down roots. This was especially true in John's day. The river, this river in New Jerusalem will, re re will represent that which is refreshing. It pictures the fullness of life with God and the only thing that can satisfy spiritual thirst, and this river symbolizes, even though it's a literal river, it symbolizes the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You have God and the Lamb on the throne, and you have the river proceeding from it, which is a picture of the Holy Spirit, and the Trinity is represented. Notice verse 1, And he showed me a pure river of water, clear as crystal. Notice the word pure. Think about how pure your water is today. When you go to another country, Oftentimes they'll say this, don't drink the water. When we went to the Philippines, we did not drink the water. We did not open our mouths when we took a shower. We brushed our teeth with bottled water. When we went to a restaurant, we made sure they had bottled water or bottled. Y'all remember bottles that were glass? They had bottles, and they put a straw in it. Why? Because their water for our systems was contaminated. When I went to Haiti, you don't drink the water. Trust me, don't drink the water in Haiti if you're from America, because that water is contaminated, all right? All the water in the, in the New Jerusalem, that water is pure. John is struck by two things here, the river's color and its source. I like what David Jeremiah said. He said, this mighty river is sparkling and shimmering with a brightness that seems to John to be like the light refracting off crystal. John also notes that the river originates with the throne of God. In the Garden of Eden, a river flowed through. In the millennial kingdom, a river flowed from the Temple Mount. But in this eternal city, the river is literally flowing from, from the throne. This means that God is forever creating the river of the water of life. Notice this verse on the screen. David prophesied about this. He said, there is a river whose streams will make glad the city of God. There is a river. Do you realize that Jerusalem is one of the few major cities that has ever been built without a river near it back in those days? It just didn't have one. That's why when Sennacherib attacked Jerusalem, he was sure that their lack of water 
would ultimately drive them to surrender because they would siege the city. What he didn't realize was King Hezekiah was pretty smart. And what King Hezekiah did was this. He built an underground tunnel which secretly brought about 1,000, or which secretly brought water about 1,777 feet through solid rock from the, from the spring of Gahan to the pool of Siloam. That little stream supplied all their needs during the siege, which gave the psalmist this thought when he wrote Psalm 46. God is in the midst of her, and she will not be moved. He is the living water who alone can quench your spiritual thirst. See, this river is a picture of the greater spiritual resource of the Lord himself. That's why Jesus told the woman at the well. You remember her? She said, I don't have a husband. He says, ah, you've had five. And the guy you're with now, it's not your husband. Why why did he say that to her? Then he goes on to say this. He told the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. Now, is Jesus talking about literal water? No. He says, but the water I shall give him shall become in him a well of water, spring him up to eternal life. And what he's saying is this, you're trying to quench your thirst in things that will never quench your thirst. You're trying to find a man. Husbands and wives, look at me. Your spouse has never been designed to quench your spiritual thirst. Don't put that burden on them. They're not Jesus. Jesus is telling the woman at the well, you're going to have a sixth husband and a seventh and an eighth because you're looking for fulfillment in a person. And I'm the person. When you, when you accept me as your Lord and Savior, he says, I give you the water of life which quenches those thirst. This lady tried to find fulfillment and purpose in men in relationships. She was thirsty. No other person is going to give you the ultimate fulfillment. Only Jesus can do that. All your thirst will be quenched in heaven. In John 7, Jesus said this to the Jewish people who are very religious, trying to quench their thirst with religion. If any man is thirsty, let him come to me. And drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. And he is referring to the Holy Spirit who is given to every believer. The Holy Spirit will fill your every spiritual need. And not only that, Jesus said the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit will give you peace with God, peace with your neighbor, you can't have that, and peace with yourself. So most lost people we know don't have peace with God. And most of them, none of them have peace with themselves. I remember hearing an interview, I think it was with Harrison Ford, who has made more money than he probably can ever spend. And he said this, they said, is there anything lacking in your life? And he says, I would give my life savings for one night of peace. You see, his thirst is not being quenched because he does not know the Lord. Unless he's gotten saved between now and that interview. And yours will not be either. David said this in Psalm 23, He, the Lord, my shepherd, leads me beside still waters. And what David is saying is this. Now think about David being the king, facing death all the time, living in sin a lot of his time. David's just just a normal guy from Vashti, right? Just God used him in a special way. He said, there are times when God leads me beside still waters. You know what that means? Listen to this. Soul peace. Peace in your soul. With God with yourself. Think about that. Money can't buy that. A nice house can't buy that. Breaking 72 at Brushy Mountain can't buy that, can it, Matt? He's the only guy in here that probably can do that. Okay, it can't buy that. David said, your shepherd will lead you at times now, at times now, beside still waters. Isn't that a blessing to be just at peace with everything? I mean, think about your life and how much turmoil and tribulation we have just because it's Monday. But God says, there are times if you'll follow me as your shepherd, all those waters are going to be still. Isn't that a blessing to have a good night's sleep? How many good night's sleep have you had, even as a Christian? Think about it. When I was a lost person, because I was, I was at what the Bible says, at enmity with God, I never had a really good night's sleep. Never did. Mine was racing. I was a thinker. You know, I was a question asker in school. When I went to CVCC, I was a guy that raised my hand and asked all the questions, questioned everything. And then as you go to bed at night when you're all by yourself, my mom worked third shift. Never, I was always at home by myself at night. You're just thinking, is this God thing real? Well, if so, I'm lost. Then I went to church and got under great conviction. Okay? And I was a mess from that day forward until the Lord saved me. Why? Because I had no peace. There was, God did not lead me beside still waters until I placed my faith and trust in Him. 
People try everything to get this soul peace. Pills, alcohol, jobs, relationships. Only a relationship with Jesus can give you peace. The, the Greek word for peace that Paul uses and Jesus used means this. Inner calmness, stress-free, stress stillness in the soul. It is a gift from Christ. See, not everyone has real peace. Isaiah said this, There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. And think about what the writer of Proverbs said, Solomon. An anxious heart weighs a man down. Isn't that so true? Anxiety. Now, some people have anxiety. They can't help it. They just have it. Have you ever heard somebody say, I got a nervous stomach? What that means is this. I remember the first oral report I ever gave in Mr. Burgess' class. Super smart guy. I was a mess. I spoke for one minute. I about cried when I got done. It was awful. You remember how you felt? Imagine feeling that way at all times. Some people do that. They can't help it. Just can't go away. Some people have it, listen, because of our sin. David said that when he sinned with Bathsheba and killed her husband, he said, oh, God's hand was heavy on me. No good night's sleep for David. Why? He, was, he did not have peace with the Lord. And anxious heart weighs a man down. It can, it can kill you if you're not careful. Chuck Swindoll said this, what about worry? He said, worry's kind of like a rocking chair. It's something we can do, but it never gets us anywhere. And then he says, worry pulls tomorrow's cloud over today's sunshine. But what can help with that? Paul said it to the church at Rome, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. After the Lord saved me, every invitation, I had peace. I remember before the Lord saved me, I'd go to church, and they'd be preaching, I'd be under such conviction. When they gave the invitation, I was just so glad when it was over. So glad. Then I felt so much guilt when I left the church. Nobody knew it but me. You couldn't tell it on the outside. But then when the Lord saved me, it was like this tremendous peace came. I said, Lord, give invitation and save people. I'm 20 years old, right? There was peace in my heart because I had peace for the first time with God. That's what the Holy Spirit symbolizes. Paul prayed for this for the church, at the, for the church at Thessalonica. He says, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you. He prays or wishes for them to experience peace. The, rock, water, the river of water of life symbolizes we'll have peace with God, peace with ourselves, and then ultimately peace with others. Jesus said this on the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the peacemakers, not peacekeepers, peacemakers. Have you ever met a peacemaker? My grandmother was one of the sweetest women to ever live. All right, One of the sweetest women to ever live. When we watched soap operas, and we did... When they would kiss, she'd cover her eyes, all right? I cover mine like this, like that. But we watch soap operas now. God and Light, As the World Turns, you know, the ones on Channel 3, the real ones. But anyway, my grandmother was a peacemaker. She would always say this when she kept her grandkids, me, my brother, my cousin. Let's play pretty like that with a switch behind her back. She was a peacemaker, and she could use that thing too, okay? The Bible says in Christ, and I'll say this, there are no switches in heaven, aren't you thankful? Why? Because this river of water of life, which symbolizes quench, your every thirst quenched, which are good thirsts we're talking about, and the peace with God and with your fellow man and with yourself comes from the throne of God and the Lamb, which means God is sovereign. Christianity is the only right religion and all others are false and everyone needs the gospel. We're not all God's children, are we? Only God's children will be here. The river is a picture of the Holy Spirit satisfying every spiritual thirst, and it gives us peace with God, your neighbor, and yourself. Then he talks about this, not just the tree of life, but the trees of life, the second thing. Notice verse 2, John says this, On either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for healing of the nations. Now think about this for a moment. The tree represents blessing and healing if you study it in the Bible. Okay? Blessing and healing. The tree of life was a symbol of eternal life and a symbol of blessing in the Garden of Eden. Listen to what God says about the tree of life. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So when you think about the tree of life, this one is different because it's celestial. It symbolizes blessings. When the Jew would want to say that you should be blessed, they would say this word. It's El 
C-H-I-M, La Chaim. If you hear a Jew say it now, they'll mean be blessed. You're blessed. Be blessed. We say that word blessing a lot, right? What, what this word meant to the Jew and what this word means when it comes to the tree of life is this is the symbol of life, the highest life, the best life, the greatest joys, the most fulfillment of life. The tree is the symbol of the unbelievable, glorious life, really, of the Christian. Jesus said, I have come to give you life. That word life is used all over again in the Bible, right? All over in Revelation. I, I, I come to give you life and more abundantly. That la-chaim life. And what does it mean? Back in Proverbs, Solomon used that word when he said, Wisdom is a tree of life. What does that mean? It is a source of blessing. It doesn't mean a literal tree. It just means a source of blessing. Proverbs 11.30 says this, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And what that means is you get around a righteous person and the product of their life produces a blessing. The righteous is a tree of life. Proverbs 13.12 says desire fulfilled, a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. What does that mean? Well, you have something that you desire that you really long for and God himself fulfills it. Life becomes rich and full and meaningful. It is a tree of life. We can experience that on a small scale today with your jobs, some of us. Okay, so, Some of you with your ministry. Hopefully all of us with our marriage. Amen. That it can be a blessing. Proverbs 15.4 says a soothing tongue is a tree of life. Some of y'all should memorize that verse. A soothing tongue is a tree of life. It never says gossiping is a tree of life. What a blessing you gossiper. Or what about complaining? Complaining is a tree of life. Nobody's ever said that in the history of the world. Right? But a soothing tongue, the Bible says, is the tree of life. And what means this? So you can see that the Jews had this concept of a tree of life simply referring to a blessing. A righteous person pr produces a tree of life. A soothing tongue produces a tree of life. A desire fulfilled produces the tree of life. And wisdom produces a tree of life. That's blessing, joy, fulfillment, contentment, and happiness. What that tells you is this. Paradise is going to be a happy place where you're blessed. And these trees have 12 fruits, which means that life is going to have a variety. And then also it says for the healing of the nations. And that's, there's a lot of uh, kind of different ideas about what this means. I like what Stephen Davies said. He says that word healing just in the Greek means it's therapeutic. Therapeutic. It doesn't mean illness. A better way to translate it would be this. And the leaves of the tree were life-giving, health-giving, and therapeutic. They just enriched life. Like vitamins, only supernatural ones. You don't take vitamins because you're sick. You take them because somebody told you to do it because it enhances the well-being of your life. It symbolizes the word healing. John is wanting people to remember how it used to be. There's no need for healing here. You're healed. It's just a reminder that nothing will ever, ever hinder you. The third thing, which is a blessing, is the curse is removed. Look at verse 3. John says this, and there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. No more curse. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God brought three judgments which we all suffer from. The first one is this, is enmity with creation. That means that now we have storms. It can be really, really cold or really, really hot. We have natural disasters now. How many tornadoes do you think were in Eden? I'll tell you how many. None. How many earthquakes were in Eden? Zero. All right. Do you realize that about 6,000 years ago, the Arctics were ice-free? A lot of people don't know that. True story. It's a historical fact. All right? And a lot of people think that our world is, our, the history of the world is about 6,000 years ago. Young earth creationists believe that. Number two, dominance in relationships. He says, your desire will be for your husband. And really what God is saying is this. Marriages, Adam and Eve were naked and not ashamed. Well, that, all that stopped after, after Adam and Eve. Okay? How many divorces have people gone through? Sometimes it's not their own fault. And then the third thing is this. You're going to have hard labor and death. The ground will not give you produce easily, is what God told Adam. From now on, it's going to be hard. He said, from now on, Adam, you're going to, you're going to earn your wages by the sweat of your brow. You're going to probably hate your job, but you're still going to do it, okay, because you have bills to pay. That word curse carries the idea in the Greek of something that's been set aside or dedicated for destruction because sin brings destruction. Think about Jerusalem. Jerusalem was cursed to a point. It, in verse 1 it's, of 21, it's called the holy city, but remember the days of Jeremiah. It was, it was known as being dead. Women and children dead in the street. 
It was as ruined of a city as we've ever had in the history of the world. The Old Testament's prophesied about this city because of their lack of faith in God. He said the city of Jerusalem will be ruined. It will be a place full of jackals. Come in and eat the dead. Remember what Jesus said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her cheeks under her wing, chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till I say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What Jesus is saying is this, In a sense, this place is cursed, just like the world is. But there's coming a day when Jerusalem is going to be holy, and the holy Jerusalem is going to come out of heaven. Why? Because there's no more curse there now. The sins of God's people have been forgiven. The curse has been reversed. Jerusalem now is a place of worship of God and Jesus. And We're all perfect in God's sight. The glorification process has taken place. And what glorification means is that God's final removal of sin from the life of the saints. Everyone who is saved is in the eternal state. Think about this today. Your nature today has been changed but you're still incarcerated in a body that is dead because of sin. See, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 that this flesh and blood cannot enter heaven. It can't do it. It can't do it. Flesh and blood cannot. Why? Because this flesh and blood must is cursed. Even though you have a new nature living inside of you, your soul goes to be with Jesus because it's been redeemed. Your flesh and blood can't go. That's why you're going to get a new body. 1 Corinthians 15. We will give up this body terrestrial for a body celestial that is called glorification. The outer man is wasting day by day. The body is the seat of death. It carries the principle of decay. You don't believe that? Go to a funeral. Bodily death is still the wages of Adam's sin and ours. John MacArthur put it this way. The inner man is ready for heaven now. It's just incarcerated in this fallen flesh. So someday when these bodies finally die, our spirit will be released to live forever and the flesh, which so incapitates us from fulfilling all the law all the time, will be exterminated. As one commentator put it, the day of our death is far better than the day of our birth. Why? Because your body is rich, wrecked with sin. It is. That's why the Bible says that if you will walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Joni Erickson Tata, understanding this, the lady who... Uh, was paralyzed, has been paralyzed since she's 17. She's in her 60s now, I think. She said, this is what I most look forward to. She's in a wheelchair her whole life when it, when it comes to heaven. She says this, I cannot wait to be clothed in righteousness without a trace of sin. True, it will be wonderful to stand, stretch, and reach to the sky, but it will be more wonderful to offer praise that is pure. I won't be crippled by distractions, disabled by insecurity. I won't be handicapped by ho-hum half-heartedness. My heart will join with yours and bubble over with vibrant adoration. We will finally be able to fellowship fully with the Father and, and with the Son. For me, that will be the best part of heaven. Why? Because sin today impacts every relationship, every job, every conversation, every hobby. Have you repented of your sin? Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus? If you have not repented of your sin, there's no place for you here. You're not going. It's not like God's going to say, ah, oh, I was just kidding. He's not. You're not going to heaven. You're not. You may have the biggest, best funeral. You may have, you may have the police department lead a big convoy to your, your grave, but that's where you're ended, right there. You may, have the, you may have great singing at your funeral. You may have some guy preach real good for you. But if you're not repented of your sin and placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you're not going to heaven. You're not. You are not Anyone whose name was not found written in the Lamb's book of life was cast into the lake of fire. As a matter of fact, the fact that we, there's no more curse there just proves it. You've been cursed and I've been cursed, and the only one who can remove the curse from us is Jesus himself. And then the final thing is this, we shall see his face. Eden's greatest attraction was the presence of God back in Genesis 1 and 2 and 3. Heaven's greatest miracle will be our access to God. Peter put it this way. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And what Peter is saying to these people scattered all over Turkey, he's saying this, even though you don't see him, you believe in him because you have his word and you have joy unspeakable. Think about when you see him. Think about that. 
verse 4 says, They shall see his face. In Exodus 33, God said this to Moses, If anybody looks on my face, they'll die. They'll be consumed. No man can see me and live. That changes. Now we can look at the blazing glory of God and all its fullness and not die. Why? Because we're holy. We're covered in His holiness. To see God's face as sinners would be, would be to be consumed with His holy animosity to sin, but in heaven we'll see Him in all His glory. In John 1.18, the Bible says, No man has seen God at any time, but the day will come when we'll see Him and see Him face to face. 1 Timothy 6.15, Paul telling Timothy, he said, The blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, but we'll see him then. Matthew 5, 8, Jesus said this, Blessed are the pure in heart because they will eventually see God. In that city we will be engulfed in his presence. We will be exposed to the full blazing glory of the Lord. Notice that word see. Look at it. This is what that word see means. That's why every word in the Bible is so important. That word means this. In this clause, it's a future indicative, which the Greek grammar points to. And the Holy Spirit is so wise in giving this word to John. It points to this. It means this. It is a real future experience for every believer. No ifs, buts, or maybes. One of the greatest words in that whole chapter is that word see. It's going to happen if you're his child. It's going to happen. That word see in the Greek is used both of physical and spiritual vision. Both are involved here for the first time man in the eternal city and state will have an absolute an undiminished perspective of God both physically and spiritually. So seeing His face stands first for being face-to-face -face with the Lord in His presence. It means having perfect fellowship and clear understanding of who He is. Think about that. See, now Paul says we see through a glass dimly. We know, but we don't know. We know a lot, but there's a lot we don't know. We can understand to a point, but there's a point that we can't go beyond because we're human beings. That's why God told Moses, the secret things belong to me. You do what I tell you. You do what you know to do, okay? We know all about the Lord to a point, but then you'll know Him fully. Think about the greatest worship experience you've ever had, and it doesn't even fit in the palm of God's hand. It doesn't even compare. Keep this in mind. Your future eternal life, future eternal life, is going to be glorious and meaningful. God wanted you to live today with the perspective of that day, or He wouldn't give us the book of Revelation. Every day you can look forward to the forever home you're going to have. Now think about this, and I'll close. No matter how painful your life is now, it's not forever. Aren't you thankful? No matter how painful, stressful, hurtful your life is now, if it is, it's not forever. It's not forever. Better days, I promise you, are coming. No matter how difficult your disability, if you have one, is, it's not forever. No matter how fresh your sorrow is, it's not forever. No matter how great your struggle with the world, the flesh, and the devil is, it's not forever. You know why? Because the only scars in heaven will be his. Aren't you thankful? I'm going to ask you to stand with me for just a moment, every head bowed and every eye closed, as our musicians come. And as they come, the question I ask you today is this. Are you prepared to exit this life and stand before God? Are you? If you stand before God, you're going to stand in your righteousness or His. Some of us literally have our toes hanging over the edge of eternity, and we're very close to it. For others, we may be a step or two behind, but it is coming. This is eternity forever. There is no place for a return, no escape, no turning back. Once you enter, it's done your consciousness will never end. It's either going to be heaven or hell. And God extends salvation to you today. If you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you can pray something like this. You don't have to pray this prayer. There's no magic in this prayer. Pray something like this. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead. And today I repent of my sin and I place my faith and trust in you. And I ask you to save me. And from this day forward, I will follow you till you return or till I die. And I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. The Bible says that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That
that is a promise from God's word. We confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead. You will be saved. And this altar is open today if you want to make that public. Father, as we come to you in prayer, Lord, we want to thank you for the hope that we have. Father, and no matter how hard life may be today, Lord, it's very temporary. But heaven with you is for eternal. And if there's anyone here today that's never placed their faith and trust in you, I pray that they would be saved today for your honor, for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. You respond as Sharon leads us in this song. If you're here and you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ and you'd like to talk to a staff member, we'd love to talk to you about, about that. Our numbers are in the bulletin and you can reach us. You can call the church office at any time. God bless you. I hope you have a great Sunday afternoon. Hope to see you back here tonight at 5. Thank you and you're dismissed.